Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of life you give us and for the work of your Spirit to call us to life. We offer you ourselves in this time and these scriptures. We ask you, Lord, to breathe them to life that they could find fertile soil in our hearts and lives, that we could assimilate them and that we could become ever more like your Son, Jesus, for having spent this time with you. Now we commend ourselves to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Please have a seat. It's always wonderful to be here. I was greeted this morning with an amazing, wonderful gift of Jackson cheese straws. You may have heard that I have said that the only reason to come to Jackson is the cheese straws. Um, well, I may have said that, but I didn't really mean it. Um, but the welcome is always um, delightful. We'll have a lovely time together celebrating this uh, after this amazing service. Um, so glad that you could uh, be here to celebrate and to honor two truly wonderful people. Um, their lives and ministries have been so uh, demonstrated and proven that we can proceed this day with great joy. Um, but in the midst of the joy, there's still significant challenge for our two ordinands and for everybody else, the rest of us as well, because the scriptures today give us some pretty big, some significant challenges. Just a few months after I was ordained um, deacon, the church where I was serving uh, in Del Rio, uh, Texas, which is three-hour drive away from a restaurant with a tablecloth, um, it's, um, you know what they say, it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. Um, we had a massive leak in the roof, and there was damage to the stucco uh, ceiling inside the church. And I happened to be standing there with uh, the senior warden who was a graduate structural engineer. And I looked up way into the ceiling, and I want to say, my memory may have distorted it, but I want to say the ceiling of that church building was two or three times the height of what we have here. And very high up at the top were two scaffolds um, Inst scaffolding installations there with a 2 by 12 board that stretched between the two scaffolds. It was clearly put there by some mindless numbskull to be a walkway between the two uh, scaffolds. And I turned to the senior warden and said, Tom, would that board actually hold a person to walk across it? And he reached into his pocket and pulled out a pad and he pulled out a mechanical pencil from his plastic mechanical pencil holder in his pocket. And he began to do, you know, magnetic north and uh, moment arms and weight and balance and the angle of the sun and whatever else engineers do when they're figuring that kind of thing. And as he's madly doing his computations, I was looking at him and I didn't notice that one of the workmen that was working on the stucco was climbing up the scaffolding. 
So the workman got up to the top of the scaffold and was following along a crack in the ceiling that was going to have to be repaired by the stucco uh, experts. And he's following his finger along the crack and he walks along and just blithely walks across the 2 by 12 board in between the two scaffolds just as Tom says, yes, it should hold a person. <laughs> and I said, I'm, I, I am quite certain... My friend, I am never going to forget this day. <laughs> and the reason I'm not going to forget it is because you have amazingly demonstrated something to me. You see, Tom, you're a graduate engineer, and you believe that that board will hold a person. That stucco expert who's going to be repairing the ceiling also believes that that board will hold a person. But there's a world of difference in the way that that man believes that board will hold a person and the way you believe that board will hold a person. Um, and so we come to some very challenging scriptures today which are applicable to all of us. But they are especially applicable to two in our midst to apprehend and hold on to maybe even more vitally than for everybody. So we should all be challenged and encouraged by uh, the words that we have from the scriptures today and the principles that are found in them, um, but it is especially true for our ordinance today. Um, as you were listening, Jeremiah begins talking about uh, the call, and sometimes when he speaks of youth, it's just um, the age of of people, but also when we are young in ministry in a new area or a new endeavor, that there is a youthfulness to that as well. And God speaks this warm and encouraging word that no matter where we are, when we set out into a new place, that we do not go alone, that He is with us. And then we go through other lessons that um, illuminate four. Uh, points that I want to share with you, and then I'm going to have, there'll be a quiz um, for the uh, ordinance at the end of this. Uh, it's real simple at the end. It's a, the quiz is just going to be a yes or no question, so you can be thinking about that. Uh, the first thing <coughs> is that the, the scriptures teach us about the heart of ministry. We see that in the person of Jesus. When uh, I was about to be consecrated as a bishop in Kenya, Archbishop Benjamin Zimbi said, let's go for a ride. And so he, he had a driver. Um, and actually the canon law in uh, Kenya says that a bishop is only allowed to drive 25 kilometers, no farther, because they had several bishops that were killed on the highway uh, and they think fatigue may have played a part in that. So the canon law is you can't drive more than 25 kilometers. So I knew we weren't going to go far. But he said, I, I just wanted to talk to you uh, and give you a word about this ministry of being a bishop. And it's a word that's true for all of us, lay and ordained. He said, the way down is the way up. I said, sir? He said, yes, the way down 
is the way up. What is it to say that he ascended except that he first descended? The heart of progress, of fruitfulness, of powerful ministry for all Christians, but especially for those in ordained service, is a heart of humility. God the Son, as Jesus, had his throne in heaven, and he emptied himself, we read in Philippians chapter 2, taking the form of a servant and humbling himself. Paul says, have this mind in you, which is found in Christ Jesus. And he even made himself obedient even to death upon the cross. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, he, the Father, has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That all things in the earth, above the earth and under the earth would bow their knee I found this on the web. and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, that's what's supposed to motivate us. This heart of service and heart of humility, and that's the core value of diaconal ministry. This morning we had the confirmands and, I mean, and the, um, some others here from the church and um, had a lovely uh, time together. And last night we had an amazing celebration dinner. Uh, I guess it was last night that Father West was saying that all of us ordained people are all deacons. He's still a deacon. I'm still a deacon. Brandon's a deacon. Um, all the priests you see here are, uh, are still deacons. We don't stop being deacons when we become priests or bishops. We still serve. And I'll remember that the bishop who ordained me as a deacon uh, was uh, Charlie Burgreen. He was the bishop of the armed forces. Uh, and he was a great friend. I was... Um, still uh, flying in the military and um, so he acting for my diocesan bishop he did my uh, my ordination but I can remember him at a weekday Eucharist uh, in New York City when I was visiting him one time um, the priest was there alone at the altar and here is the bishop of the armed forces uh, getting up and became the acolyte for the service and he carried the cruets of wine and water and held the bowl for the priest to wash his hands uh, still and always a servant and that's what Bishop Zimby, Archbishop Zimby was referring to that um, the way down humility is the way to grow and manifest uh, ministry properly uh, in the kingdom um, we must do that because to the extent that we do not do that, we suck the life out of the ministry that we offer. So the first word is heart. And the heart of ministry is humility. The second one comes from the gospel today. Um, and it's this famous passage in the gospel of Luke where Jesus sends them out. He sends them out two by two. Um, and it's possible to miss the most powerful part of that verse. Uh, because it's amazing when he says, go and speak peace 
uh, to a home. And when you find peace there, stay as long as there is peace uh, and share with them about the kingdom. But the most important part is when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. Now, why is that important and revolutionary? Because what he's telling us to do is not just to go through our life from moment to moment um, as evangelists sharing the gospel with every person that we come to, but we are supposed to be trying to identify the people who are the laborers for the gospel and we are to invest our time with them because they will go back and they will be able to reach all the people that we passed by while we're finding the laborers. The strategy of the kingdom of God is for us to be looking for laborers, not just adding more Christians. It's one of the reasons why we are uh, we have been losing the cultural battle in this country. Uh, because the, the emphasis that we've had when we have gospel preaching churches has been on addition by adding one more Christian by preaching the gospel to them. And not thinking and working strategically to find laborers for the harvest, other people who can be deployed who will multiply the harvest. Because they will be um, put to work in recruiting other people to be laborers in the harvest and so on and so on until there are enough laborers for the harvest and the harvest is a huge one. We're 300 and however many million people there are in this country now plus the other nations of the world. It is a formidable task uh, to reach them and we, we cannot reach them with addition alone. So even though you work with the heart of a servant you must also minister with a head of strategy to do those things that are going to bring the best and most gospel fruit. And that is not just to care for the sick, which you will do, uh, not just to visit the people that are shut in, which you will do, uh, not just to do those acts of service, which of course you will do, but to think strategically and to apply yourself strategically so that the labor force of the kingdom can be multiplied. Now, we're all supposed to be doing that, but they're the ones walking across the board today, and uh, they're the ones to receive it even more vitally than we do um, conceptually. I'd love for all of us to take as strong heart to that and join in with the work, but for today, my, my big um, task and um, challenge is to call that to life for both of you. So the, the heart of humility, the head of strategy. Uh, the third thing is the message. You know, what is the message? And we got that from uh, 1 Corinthians today, chapter 2, um, especially verse 2, where Paul says, I determined... Uh, to know, uh, not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. 
why is it for Paul with all of the things, remember he's the one who penned most of our New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why is it that the cross of Jesus Christ is so important to Paul that that, he says, if there's only one thing I convey, I want to convey the cross of Christ. It's because the cross of Christ intrudes into the fallen world and it means that that which is estranged from God can be won back. And it's won back with a, a variety of things. It's won back by obedience, the obedience of Jesus to go to the cross. Why is obedience so important? Well, it's because the fall happened because of disobedience. Adam and Eve were told, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. They decided for themselves what was good and what was evil. The alternative to eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not ignorance, it is obedience. They didn't have to understand why it was important to obey God. But it was important that they should have obeyed God. So when they rebelled and sinned, then an important, vital, vitally important component of the, the process of redemption is Jesus has to reestablish the dominion of God through obedience. We're first and foremost always obedient to God. But we're also called to be obedient in the structures in which we live. Well, what are the lessons? I mean, the limits of that um, for us. What's the, do you always obey everything? Because if you remember, the Nuremberg trials after World War II ended, many of the German officers were on trial there and the defense that they offered was, we were just following orders. Well, they should have known that those were not lawful orders to exterminate people. Someone asked me, well, when is it okay to say no to your bishop? Uh, when I was a priest, I had a bishop who... Um, was very active in terms of giving me orders. Um, I didn't agree with him most of the time, but I, um, I obeyed it because growing up in Germany, uh, living in Nuremberg, where the Nuremberg trials had taken place, my grandfather a general, my father a lieutenant colonel, um, even as a young boy, we would sit around the table and say, what are the limits of authority? When do you say no to authority? <clears throat> so when the bishop told me what services to have at what time and which of the buildings that we had in the church and what music we could use and other things like that, which actually is the purview of the rector of the church, that's not the bishop's call, but because I believed very strongly in authority, um, I did, every time he gave me an instruction, I did it. And one day, he wanted me to come into his office, and I knew I was going to get some more orders about something, because that's what always happened. And this particular time, he said, I'm not going to restrict your preaching, but I am forbidding you to ever challenge anyone to make a commitment 
to Jesus Christ with their life. And he said his daughter, someone had told her that she needed to make a decision for Christ and she needed to be born again. And she was so offended by that, she'd never set foot in church again. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job. If somebody's going to be converted, let the Holy Spirit do it. But I'm forbidding you to challenge anybody else to make a commitment to Jesus Christ with their life. I was much younger then. Um, and I laughed. And he said, I'm puzzled. He said, the one constant with all of the frustrations that you give me, the one constant is when I give you an order, you always do what I say. You're clearly not going to do what I say. Why is that? And I said, because you're only a bishop. You cannot overrule the command of Jesus Christ himself. He said, I see. Uh, I won't go into the rest of the conversation. <laughs> we are called to be under authority and to live under authority unless the authority is calling us or other, would cause, cause us to cause others to miss Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. The fact that they call, that uh, uh, an authority over my life calls me to inconvenience, that's not an excuse. I must say yes. If they want me to do uh, things that seem irrational, um, that's, there's no defense in that. But in this case where there was a direct uh, contravention of what the Lord had said, then that's when we say no. We saw this recently, uh, within the last couple of years, um, with my friend Bishop Bill Love, when he was ordered by the church to do some things that he said clearly are uh, forbidden in Scripture, I will not do that. And they said, well, if you don't obey what we're saying, then we're going to kick you out. And he said, well, then you'll kick me out. But I'm not going to disobey um, the heart of scriptures by attempting to bless that which God says should not be blessed but should be redeemed. So what are the limits? The limits are to say yes unless it causes you or the, the people you are serving to miss Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. So the, the cross is the central issue where obedience comes, where the shedding of blood comes, where atonement comes, and we are called to life out of death. It's the heart of the whole message that's displayed for us as Jesus obeys and goes to the cross, dies, and then goes into a tomb and then rises again victorious over it. There's a place for, our, for us to be forgiven, a place for us to have victory over sin, and a place for us to walk with Christ in a powerful future. And that's all wrapped up in the Christ, uh, in the Christ message of the cross. I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's our message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, this is a high calling. 
This morning we were talking about the command from Jesus where he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. We also look at the Great Commission. Go into all the world, teaching all that I've commanded, uh, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations. Um, Those are high callings. And there's no way that we're going to be able to do it unless we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote this, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit is available to absolutely every Christian. Those who serve the Lord in sacramental ministry and in the orders of the church have a particularly poignant responsibility to connect with the the Lord and to connect with the Holy Spirit, connect with the mind of God in such a way that we can know what it is we're called to do and we can obey that and call to life in the power of the Spirit whatever it is God is giving us to do. It is not just dependent on how smart or wise or strong I can be or you can be. It's dependent on what God's will is, what he wants to get done. He will give us what we need to carry out the commission that he gives to us. He will do that in general with our whole lives and he will do it specifically with every step that he asks us to take. So for everybody like my engineer friend, celebrate the truth of these things for all of us. But for our two friends who are being ordained today, it is particularly poignantly for you to walk across that board and to trust it that it is going to hold you. So at this point, I would invite you both to stand. Classically, at an ordination, there is a charge to the ordinance. And here is today's charge for you. Will you take on the heart of humility, the head of strategy, the message of Christ, and the means, the power of the Holy Spirit? There you go, you passed. (laughs) We, We shall proceed. So Father, we thank you for the truth that you give us in the scriptures, how you call us to the fullness of life. We thank you for our friends today who are being ordained in your church. We ask you, Lord, that every grace that they will need and require will be given to them and that they will experience your favor and our love as we proceed with their ordinations. In Jesus' name. Amen.